Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We do pray that your Holy Spirit would be present here, and we are nothing, Lord God. Um, that was a great word, because it is true. But you get all the applause, Lord. All our gifts come from you. Everything good we know comes from you. Our ability to do things come from you. You take very average, ordinary people, and you do extraordinary things through them so that you get all the glory. So that's what we pray happens today. We don't want to touch your glory. We love you. Come, Holy Spirit. Um, Just do everything that you like to do among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're we're, we're working our way through the Creed. Uh, Many of you know the Apostles' Creed from growing up in... I don't know what they, more higher, I don't know what adjectives to use, structured historical churches. Um, the Some churches are, we don't do creeds, we only do the Bible. Well, uh, the Apostles' Creed and the earlier creed that it's derived from, which called the Old Roman Creed, the Old Roman symbol, the Old Roman sign, uh, it's pretty much just biblical statements. So uh, there's not much to be controversial I uh, have controversy about. We're working our way through it. And uh, yeah, might as well just jump right in and, and uh, you'll notice something about this creed and you'll say, Tad's not very good with technology, but I did it on purpose. So um, let's see here. There we go. I believe, pistuo, because uh, we have a Greek club, in God the Father Almighty. Now, the black is the old Roman one, the older one. The, the red is the additions that you guys are familiar with, and they kind of, over the years, added to it. And then the later creeds, they added a whole bunch of stuff to it, and they started to get way philosophical. And if you study philosophy, I'm like, I don't need to say those. And people are like, heretic, well, if you study it all out. I, um, they just got really philosophical. And so um, if this was, I think this really reflects more of the apostolic kind of core and uh, hey, if it's good enough for the apostles, it's good enough for me. So, but but the black would be uh, the old Roman one, and then the red is the additions that a lot of us have grown used to. But I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Uh, now, it, the wording's a little more like the old Roman one, but it's conceptually the same. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. They could have left that off. So anyway, I know it's traditional, but it's really hard to prove from the Bible. Uh, we can talk about that later. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Now, everybody read this next line with me. Ready? One, two, three. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Okay. It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But I made it so small that you couldn't see it because that's kind of the role that the Holy Spirit gets and down through church history and in our minds and in our hearts and in our thinking about God. And even in the creed, he gets one little itty bitsy, beanie, teeny, weeny line. And uh, I knew for weeks this is what I was going to be talking about. And. I don't recommend you do sermons like I do sermons. If, if you study, honest, I'm, I'm not kidding, because some people will try to do it to cheat. But if you study for 30 years, 
all the way up to the PhD level under some of the greatest scholars in the world, and then you do ministry all over the world, and you memorize books and books of scripture, and you spend thousands of hours in prayer, et cetera, et cetera, um, then I would recommend that sometimes you don't have to spend a lot of time studying. And the Lord basically told me when you study too much, you bog down your sermons. And at this point in your life, you just don't have to. And I know there would be some preaching professors who would combust right now. But I'm saying if you've done your time, I don't want to go off on another sermon. But if you, if you spend 30 years as a golf pro, you don't have to prepare for 40 hours to do a seminar on the latest products or the best golf courses in the world or whatever. So a lot of times I'll know what I'm going to preach on. And I really feel like the Lord's like, don't. You don't need to worry about this until very soon before you're going to say it. And so I'm thinking about the Holy Spirit and kind of I'm like, what am I going to say? He's like, don't sweat it. Don't pull out the Greek and the Hebrew and don't go and pillage the Bible. Just take it easy. And so it's okay. And uh, Susan and I watched a kind of funny romantic movie last night. I'm like, I could have been studying. I'm just hanging out with my wife. My son came home and we went out to dinner and just had some fun. And I woke up late at six o'clock. <laughs> That's way late. That's totally late for me. Like, and I was like, oh no, I don't even have any time if I was going to prepare. And I woke, I'm walking out of my bedroom. What am I going to say about the Holy Spirit? He gets such a small role. And I started to think about it. And, uh, and we were singing, we sang two songs about the Holy Spirit. I, I could, using the New Testament, well, the Old Testament as well, we could do a 10-year series on the Holy Spirit. In this age where He's so neglected, He's everything. Now, of course, this is another interesting fact. And a revelation I got this morning. Who in your life serves thanklessly, gives constantly, loves better than anyone else? Who in your life does that and does not even demand any praise? Who, who do you think of? What, what person on planet Earth do you think of? Human being. Besides Jesus. That's always the answer. Human being. Your mom. Your mom. Right, Chris? Yeah. Your mom. And I, I just got hit today with the fact, the Holy Spirit, it's almost like He doesn't mind. He's God. And He does it all. It's like he doesn't even mind. <laughs> He's like your mom. It's kind of ironic. That, yeah, some of us didn't even have a good mom, and we know what a mom should be. You know, some of us had broken mom, but we still know what a mom should be. But he's kind of like that. He does everything. And he doesn't care about applause and whatever. And somehow we can read through the whole New Testament, and he's doing everything. Jesus actually said, you know what? I kind of restricted myself here. I kind of localized myself. I can help one person at a time. Sometimes I can deal with a group. It's actually your advantage if I go away. 
Because when he comes, he's going to be able to deal with everybody. This is the era, the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And then he gets this little puny, teeny, weeny, itsy, bitsy bit of uh, tipping of the hat. We don't even think about him. And Jesus even said, he doesn't care. You know know what he cares about? He's like, make Jesus big. I heard somebody say, you know a church is really moving in the Holy Spirit if Jesus is really big. So like a new person can come in like, oh, they're one of those Holy Spirit churches. They're doing all that Holy Spirit singing. And I don't even know if you're allowed to do that. Um, Which is kind of true. There are some groups that get kind of goofy. They almost... Forget about the Father and the Son. and We're a Holy Spirit church. If you're really a Holy Spirit church, then Jesus is going to be huge in your church because that's His job. And you know what? If you, have a, if you have a service and you glorify Jesus the whole time and you don't even mention the Holy Spirit, I think He's perfectly happy. Isn't that weird? But I was just thinking, that's a lot like a mother. So call your mom today and tell her how much you love her. Because she... You think about even your... I don't want to get weird on you. But even your first meal, you're drawing your life from her. She changed your diaper. She chased you around. She had to set aside her career. She picked you up. You know, she's the one who stands by if you're a criminal or you're a failure or even your dad rejects you. She's... Anyway... But she doesn't need a whole lot of praise. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying don't praise him. Let him know you love him. Start thinking about him more. Because he's God. So, I amended my graphic here. So for those of you who are just listening on the podcast or whatever, I put it so small that nobody could see it. After the, the part says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. The holy and then additional word Catholic, which doesn't mean... Roman Catholic back in the day, but uh, church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. But I put the, I believe in the Holy Spirit so small because we, he's definitely not given the, the space in the creed that he's given in the New Testament because he does everything. And we learn, we need to learn who he is, what he does, how to cooperate with him, how not to become goofballs because a lot of churches, the Holy Spirit churches, they don't study the Bible. So they do get way out of balance. And they don't realize that he wants to stay in the background. Uh, and he wants you to glorify Christ. And he wants you to become like Christ. But you've got to realize at some point he is the one that's doing all the heavy lifting and all the work. And he's the one that's transforming me. And he's the one that's helping me to understand. So I hope you guys will get a new appreciation of the Holy Spirit today. And you'll want to study him out. Because there is a lot, a lot, a lot to study in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit. So this is what it should look like. And those of you who are listening, I blew it up so it's ten times bigger than any of the other statements of the creed. Um, He ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. From there he'll come again to judge the living and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now he doesn't need to be bigger than Jesus or the Father. I'm just making a point here. We shouldn't neglect him to the point where we blow past thinking about him as an afterthought, even when we're saying the creed. So this morning... Um, let me see here. Let's get to some biblical text. I like this one in Acts 19. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, I, man, this, you could just launch off anywhere and do a sermon. Apollos was awesome. They call him mighty in scripture. 
I think he's the only guy that's ever called that mighty in Scripture. If you want to be used by God, become mighty in Scripture. Anyway, but Paul is passing through there. The upper country came to Ephesus, the same Ephesus that we have letters to in the book of Revelation, same Ephesus that Timothy, First and Second Timothy, was stationed at, and probably, I know this is controversial, but the, the book of Ephesus, actually some people think might have been let, written to Laodicea or been an encyclical letter or something, but that's the place that the, your Ephesians letter is talking about. Very likely that letter went to Ephesus. The, sometimes the designations came later. The letters... We know the letters legitimately from Paul to Christians, so everything it says is true. But some people are like, well, maybe that was re- that was the one that was referring to the Laodiceans. And if I'm confusing, you just forget those last five sentences. <laughs> so anyway, so they're passing through this Ephesus, important place. And they found some disciples, followers of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. That's an important word. Methetes, a learner, somebody that wants to go after Jesus. Now, some places in, like when you have a false brother in the church, in the book of Acts, like Ananias, they don't call him a disciple, they call him a certain man. There's a certain man in the church. So these people are legit. They really want Jesus. They want the truth. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And I think that's a lot of born-again Christians. What, the Holy, huh? What? I thought the Trinity was the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. I don't, I mean, what's the Holy Spirit? I don't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. And so Paul's like, oh man, you guys got a lot lot of learning to do here. And so Paul, he says, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. He said, Messiah was coming and we were all in. So we got baptized by John. A lot of Jesus' first followers were followers of John. And John says, there's the guy. Go after him. Says, That's what we did. We got baptized in John's baptism. Now we want to follow Christ. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was, the coming, at, who was coming after him. That is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And there were in all about 12 men. And they said, why? A lot of people in the circles I grew up in said, you should have stopped reading right before that tongues and prophesying bit. Because that's very controversial. Well, I think we should read the Bible and deal with it. And just because there's some people that mishandle certain things in the Bible doesn't mean we avoid them. It means we hammer through them and try to handle them more accurately. But anyway, Paul says, you guys aren't getting it all straight. Some of you guys need to be baptized. I'm not going to look at anybody. But some of you guys need to be baptized because when you got baptized, you just got wet. Or you had good intentions, but you didn't really understand what Christian baptism was all about. I mean, it was really, you're reaching out for God, but when someone says, hey, this is supposed to be your burial. This was supposed to be your death to self. You're understanding that not only are your sins forgiven, but now you're sharing the resurrection life of Christ and you're all in and you're a bond slave. And you're like, what? I just did it because uh, I had warm fuzzies and I love God. It's like, well, then maybe you need to be, you never surrendered completely. You never understood salvation. And well, I prayed to ask Jesus in my heart. Well, where's that in the Bible? Did you really understand salvation? Did you really experience your sins forgiven? Did you really put faith in God, surrender your life to Him? So, some people need to be rebaptized because they just got wet. See, see how many sermons you can just launch off onto? Some people 
God, I don't want to. Maybe you got baptized when you're a baby. Were you even there? Did you have? Maybe you're asleep. Who knows? Did you have any part in that decision? Um, that's our church believe. I know there's good people that believe in infant baptism. Well, if you can give me your argument from Scripture, and you're convinced, and you bear the fruit of the kingdom, I'm like, all right, fine. We'll get to heaven, and we'll go to Jesus, and he's like, was I right, Jesus? And he'll be like, was I right, Jesus? Um, but so there's some secondary issues. But I believe you should get baptized when you when you're there, and you know what you're doing. So that's what happened to these people. But then when they got baptized, so obviously they've accepted the gospel, they're baptized, Paul lays hands on them and some weird stuff happens. And it's the Holy Spirit. And they were serious and they loved God and they were following God, but they hadn't experienced the Holy Spirit. So the creed says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit like the apostles believed in the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit as the New Testament lays out who he is and what he does? Or have you been deceived about what the Holy Spirit does and doesn't do? Uh, A lot of us grew up in churches that were scared of the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God recently. And I I like Francis Chan. He's decent. Um, I'm sure that I'm sure. I mean, he's better than decent. He's he's about one of the better things going these days. But if you go back 100 years, 150 years he would be the first to admit the people back then were absolutely read those books about the Holy Spirit if you want to have your hair blown back and have your life changed. But he wrote a book just like, why are we forgetting the Holy Spirit? You know, but do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Yeah, technically, sure. Yeah. Do you believe everything the Bible says about the Holy Spirit? Do you have the mind of Christ about the Holy Spirit? Do you believe what the apostles say about the Holy Spirit? Would you and Jesus be in perfect agreement about what the Holy Spirit is supposed to be doing right now in our day and our time and in your soul? If you and Jesus went out, uh, you know, had a 25-point check on who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, would yours line up perfectly with Jesus? Because that's what we're after. We're after the mind of Christ. And this is such a powerful doctrine. It is one of the doctrines, along with things like prayer, that the devil wants to sabotage so that you can't experience the fullness of what God has for you. And right now there's a lot of Christians, Bible-believing, born-again Christians that think they're straight shooters and they're incredibly dissatisfied. Some of them are either like, hey, I think maybe I'll go check out the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church or I'm missing something. I'll go read the mystics or whatever. Um, Maybe you're missing the Holy Spirit. Because I never find in history people that really get a hold of this truth and go deep into it that are sitting around, they're, you know, there's just got to be something more. There's just got to be something more. People are, re- even if you just start to get a hold of the Spirit and start to experience His ministry in your life, uh, 2 Corinthians talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you just will never say, there's got to be more. Actually, there's some folks in history that get a hold of the Holy Spirit, hold of the Holy Spirit in some unique ways, and they actually tell God, God, you better stop. Because I'm going to explode for joy. And I've had friends that have said similar things. So, anyhow, so these people didn't even know. They're serious seekers of God. They don't know boo about the Holy Spirit. What do you know about the Holy Spirit? What do you believe about the Holy Spirit? So as I was thinking about this, uh, I really want you guys to get into church history. Who knows who Jonathan Goforth is? Higher. I don't see your hands higher. Not half. 
and it's really sad. I, there's a lost library. Uh, Christians like us, like our forebears from 1720 to 1920, they were unbelievable, phenomenal, amazing. Um, so Jonathan Goforth was a missionary. He went to China. Might as well just do some interactive talk. Who's gone on a mission trip? Put your hand up higher, higher, higher. Oh, man. Okay, about a third. He went to be a full-time missionary. He stunk at it. In China, he was terrible at it. And he came back uh, to America, and then he got a hold of the writings. There's two books. There's a guy named Charles Finney. One of, one of the books is called Lectures on Revival. And for those of you who are theological purists, I don't agree with Charles Finney on all his theology. But in terms of as an evangelist and as a man who is all in for the kingdom, there's not a whole lot of people in history that are, did it better than Finney. He was not the greatest theologian. But he preached the gospel, Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, and you know, pure enough for God to mow down entire towns whenever he would show up. But anyway... This, Jonathan Goforth, stunk at being a missionary. He wasn't leading people to Christ. People weren't, uh, nothing was happening. So he got a hold of Finney's works, Finney's memoirs. I mean, Finney could pray over his meal and people would get saved. I'm serious. That dude was filled, filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. And the lectures on revival basically says, uh, um, God moving in power is about as certain as you planting a garden and tending it. You do the right things, he's coming. A lot of people don't like that, but Finney's like, well, I'll do it, and I'll prove it, and I'll live my whole life doing it. And if you don't like it, you can complain when you get to heaven and tell God he shouldn't have done it that way, but he does it that way, and he did it that way in my life. So Jonathan Goforth said, well, if that's true, I'm going to find those principles, and I'm going, to, I'm going to, if it kills me, figure out, and then people are like, well, how are you going to phrase this? How, how do I get a hold of the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit get a hold of me? How do, I mean, words fail us. How do I make that supernatural connection with God so that everything the Holy Spirit wants to do is happening in my life? So he goes back to China. And that's, this is the one book he wrote. It's called By My Spirit. Some missionaries came to visit him. Seasoned missionaries, seminary trained ministers. I'm going to jump over. Oh, here's his picture. Looks like a sweet, happy guy who's 1859 was born. I think he died in 1936. And once he figured out a little better how the Holy Spirit works, and maybe he wasn't as smart as he thought he was, and maybe as smart as his church wasn't as smart as they thought they were, and his denomination wasn't, and his seminary wasn't. Just a heads up, you're not going to be lit on spiritual fire at seminary or Bible college. You better figure out how to do that before you go. Anyway, so he realized, you know, that he had a lot to learn, and God taught him as a seasoned missionary. Some people came out to visit him, and this is what they said. And why I thought of this quote was because they mentioned the creed. Because when they were done watching him Minister and the Holy Spirit come in power and it looked just like the book of Acts. It said it made these seasoned Christian missionaries, disciples, question themselves when they said that phrase, I believe in the Holy Spirit. You see what I'm saying here? 
because he so revamped his understanding of who the Holy Spirit was and who, what the Holy Spirit did, when they saw him in action, when he went back, they said it made us all reconsider when we say that phrase, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So let's see what these missionaries said. We were quite overwhelmed by the wonder of it. Would you have been overwhelmed on the day of Pentecost? Okay, how about... Actually, I'll jump back here for a minute. How about Acts 4? I like Acts 4 because people are like, Pentecost was an unrepeatable event. Okay, then just go to Acts 4 because that's after Pentecost and the implication is this is happening again and again and again and it happens through history to people who understand the Holy Spirit. But... Acts chapter 4, a couple of the apostles just got let out of prison and they pray, God, grant to your bondservants to speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand and heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken like an earthquake. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So, Evidently, that was something of what was happening with Jonathan Goforth. Now, I've got, there's thousands of books from that era. Same type of people. I, got, I just grabbed a few off my shelf. This one's China. This is Indonesia in the 1970s, like a mighty rushing wind. Anyone read that, read that one? Look at that one. Stop watching YouTube and playing on Twitter and get lit, <laughs> get lit up by this old stuff. The flint, James Edwin Orr, you know who that guy is? Anybody? He's like, he's like the greatest revival historian probably that's ever lived. Uh, Oxford-educated PhD, but he, he studied them, wrote about them, and brought them. He was someone that God could use in this amazing way. Uh, but he has maybe 50 books, but this one is about the great revival uh, from about 1900 to 1910 that hit all sorts of countries around the world, and Goforth was caught up in the middle of them, and he just happened to be someone that God was using in China at the time. But anyway, let's get back to our quote of the surprised missionaries who thought they could say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but then saw the Holy Spirit working in Jonathan Goforth's ministry and said, wow, what do I believe? We were overwhelmed. We had read about revival in Wales. You know about the Welsh revival in 1904? In India, 1905? Pastors don't even know about this stuff anymore. And professors. Next door neighbor in Korea. When the blessing comes down so fully and freely, as it has done these past few days in our midst, it has new meaning. Perhaps you say, it's a sort of religious hysteria. It's like, these people are goofy. They're uneducated. No, they're not. These, these people back then, they were smarter than us. I've studied them. They were just smarter than us. A lot of them. Who in here is pretty, pretty good with their Greek New Testament? I have one person. I'm all right. I happen to study under one of the great Greek scholars in the world. I'm still not very good at it. Hebrew, who's good in their Hebrew? I'm all right at it. I can almost read it and work with it. How's your French? How's your German? How's your Latin? How's your historical theology? A, a lot of these guys had all that down pat. And on top of that, they were experienced. These weren't like just dumbs, you know, swinging off the chandeliers, hillbillies. These were people that knew their stuff. So anyway, rain it in, Tad. Okay, so you're saying it's religious hysteria. So did some of us when we first heard of the revival. But here we are, about 60 Scottish and Irish Presbyterians. 
they're the brainiacs. The Presbyterians like to think they're like the smartest of all. It's it's the reform scholastic stuff. They like to get down to the nitty gritty of all the what was God doing before he was doing? What does doing even mean? And is, does God will things or does God do they just happen by will of his nature or does he how does eternity interact with one another if they're infinite and they can't be affected in any way? They sit around and talk about all this stuff that most people are like, dude, I just want to stop drinking. So can you just pray for me? I just want my marriage fixed. I don't want to figure out the, the infinite mechanics of an infinite being. I just want... The Presbyterians are all into that. So you have 60 of them watching Jonathan Goforth in action. All shades of temperament. And much as many of us shrank from it at first, everyone who has seen and heard what we have every day last week is certain there's only one explanation, that it is God's Holy Spirit manifesting himself in a way we never dreamed of. Seasoned ministers, seminary trained. We have no right to criticize. We dare not. One clause of the creed that lives before us now in all its inevitable, awful Solemnity is, I believe in the Holy Ghost. You used to call him the Holy Ghost. The words pneuma, a ruach, but it's saying ghost spirit. We call him spirit now, because ghost is kind of a strange word to us. But do I really believe this? So anyway, that, that was a book that I thought of. So I thought it was in one book. I was like, just I know it's in there, and I was like digging through and looking online and finding a bunch of other good books about the guy. His wife, wife wrote wonderful book on prayer um, but this was the one book that he wrote he actually dictated it to his son he only wrote the first and last chapter I might as well just drop this little interesting fact in here because this is a sermon in itself he had a horrible tooth problem that God didn't heal and he was home in agony and so his son came to visit him and so I guess they decided, hey, Dad, while you're here and to distract you, he said the only relief he could get was pressing on it with his hand and pacing around. Why don't you just dictate that book that you want to get done that you can never find enough time to do? So, I don't know. You think about that one. I wouldn't even be talking to you about Jonathan Goforth, perhaps if God hadn't allowed him to have a little toothache. God didn't cause a toothache. God doesn't like toothaches. But sometimes to slow us down, to get us to move in the right direction. Right? Anyway, that's not has nothing to do with the sermon. That's free of charge. <laughs> but anyway, these guys were blown away. And I just challenge you guys, go read. Go read, not just this book. Read Like a Mighty Rushing Wind. Read, just let James Edwin Orr turn you on to a hundred people that you've never heard of before. And times when God would take over whole countries. And when Christians didn't have to farm out their hard cases. Because they knew the demonized would be delivered. They, didn't, they don't have to go live in the mental health care facility for the rest of their life. I know that offends us now. It's because we don't know the Holy Spirit. And the drunks, they didn't have to stand up in AA and say, Hey, my name's Bubba Smith, and I'm an alcoholic. No, my name's Bubba Smith, and I better steer clear of alcoholism because it's kind of my Achilles heel. But I've kicked that thing in the teeth, and that's 100 miles behind me. I barely think about it anymore. I'm not an alcoholic. 
Because I've been delivered because I know the Holy Spirit. I mean, that, just read the stuff. And I mean, the Bible says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And it was talking about what God's speaking to us. We just don't know the Holy Spirit that well. We don't know what He can do. Now, again, I'm not going to like totally discredit God because we, we actually see some wonderful things in this church as lousy as we are at all this. As bad as we are at prayer and as hard a time we have as, as exercising faith, even though we know what it is, we still see miracles. I was like in tears this morning thanking God for this place and the stuff He does in this place. You know, just looking at your faces. It's incredible, some of you people. But still, we don't know. Oh, we're just like, uh, like that. And so you have someone like Jonathan Goforth and he says, I'm going to get a hold of this stuff if it kills me. Yeah, but the uh, board who ordained you and certified you may take away your ordination. Well, why would I care? Your parents will think you're kooky. Jesus' family thought he was kooky. So anyway, I, I just want to figure out how this all works. And get a hold of it. And I think I'm on the right track because I'm seeing some pretty good stuff. I'm probably never going to be one of these awesome, amazing dudes. But still, no matter what I am, don't you mothers who... So many young ladies like, I just want to have kids and I want them to be awesome. Don't you want to know how to pray and how to bring the Word of God and how to discern what's happening in their life so that you're... A, I mean, if you shape no one else on the planet, you get to impact your kids to become what they're created to be because you're full of the Holy Spirit. You know, and even if you don't want to sit up here and talk to people about the Word of God, like I love doing, and you really feel like, hey, I'm good at business, don't you want to kill it so you can send missionaries and you can build orphanages and you can, you know, save the guys that you're having business meetings with because you're full of the Holy Spirit? I mean, don't you guys want to be like a hold of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit at full of, you know, a hold of you and just functioning? We're not all going to be Billy Graham. We're not all going to be the Apostle Paul. But we all need to be full of the Holy Spirit. So anyway... Let's see here. So this morning, I, I literally, I was going, what am I going to say? Man. And all it took was a few minutes. And I'm like, there's no way to rein this all in. Holy cow. There's no possible way to rein this in. I, you, you, I, I mean, I said 10 years. I could talk about the Holy Spirit and what he does if I live to be 100 every week in church. And I wouldn't even begin to exhaust it. So I'll just I'll mention a few things, and some of this is a little bit sloppy because uh, you know in terms of my, my my references and I don't have pictures or anything because I woke up late and I started to do this and I'm just like there's too much and then it was eight almost eight o'clock and I was like ah I haven't taken a shower and I gotta meet with the guys at eight thirty whatever and so I uh, I didn't really shove Susan out of the way but <laughs> she's like can I get ready first and I was like no. So, so, I did. I've never done that before. Can you remember ever doing that before in our marriage? She's like, can I get ready first? I'm like, no. <laughs> so anyway, so I was just going through this holy, what does the Holy Spirit do? Even, even as we were um, praying in there, I, I hope it doesn't distract the other guys, but I like pull up my computer. I'm like, oh, that's good. I'm like, oh, I got to write that down. He is the love of God. When you experience it, when you feel it, when you understand it, that's Him. That's Romans 5. The love of God is poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. 
We're supposed to pray in the Spirit. Do you ever feel like when you're praying? Uh, this is kind of funny. How many of you in here feel so totally inadequate, probably 75% of the time that you're praying? Me. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, please counsel me afterwards on how to become better at prayer. But when you, Now, how many of you guys have hit that sweet spot in prayer? You're like, wow. Whoa, whoa, there's something carrying me along here. That's called praying in the Spirit. So... The Bible commands us in Ephesians 6 to pray in the Spirit. So when you're getting it, it's because the Spirit's helping you. And Romans 8 says, we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit helps our weakness by groaning in us, which I think means moving us in those directions that God wants us to pray in. Oh, you know, you get super compassion for somebody in the church that you didn't even like. Because they're weird. Like, Where'd that come from? That's the Holy Spirit. Because I pray for that person. Love that person. So you pray in the Spirit. The Bible commands you to walk in the Spirit. Now, when you're, when you're having a hard time doing God's will and you don't feel like you want to, and you've got to grit your teeth, that means you're walking in the flesh. But there's some time where you're having fun. You're being generous. You're being courageous. You're doing what you need to do. You're even rejoicing in persecution. That's because you're walking in the Spirit. He's even the one that gives you the power, the desire to... Live a life that's pleasing to God. That comes. So when you pray right, that's the Spirit. When you walk right, that's the Spirit. When you love people, that's the Spirit. Then when you're led. Have any of you guys ever been in a situation that's just goofy, crazy, weird, just because you love God and you're trying to obey Him and you're like almost in awe of what's happening around you? Or God says, text somebody and you do it. And then they tell you they didn't kill themselves because you texted them two weeks ago. Uh, I was thinking of that this, this morning, and again, I'm not the greatest at being led by the Spirit, but to act like, I got all kinds of cool stories because I've been at this for 30 years. One time I was at Moody Bible, you know, not Moody Bible, but the historic Moody Church. There's this black guy who gets up out of the service and he walks out, and I just felt like God said, follow him. Okay, and I had this big contraption on my foot because I'd broken this bone on the other side of my foot, and I'm like, clom, 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 clom. <laughs> And I finally catch up to the guy. I'm like, hey, yeah, God uh, kind of wanted me to talk to you. He's like, I knew you are following me because I heard this clump, 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 clump. <laughs> so I was like, could I take you to pizza? So we went out to pizza. And uh, this just happened. I was like 19, 20. He said, my whole world is falling apart. He said, I'm partially paralyzed because I got in a wreck. My wife left me. She took my daughter. And he said, I was just praying that if God were real and he loved me, he'd let me know. He said, are you an angel? <laughs> Doesn't happen every day, but weird stuff happens every day. You remember what happened with Philip when he ran up to the guy in the chariot and he happened to be reading Isaiah 53? I mean, literally, that's like you in the airport. And God says, hey, go talk to that businessman. You go, you go and, uh, hey, uh, I'm just a guy. And I thought maybe you'd want to talk to some totally weird stranger because whatever. <laughs> what you doing there? He's like, dude, I got this gospel tract. I can't make any heads or tails of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Can you make anything out of that? Right? That's literally kind of what happened to, to Philip when he ran up to the 
It's like a total setup. And so he preaches the gospel, whatever. And I was, I was meditating on all these weird ways the Spirit will lead you. And I was even thinking about last week because, you know, we'll have people stay at our house and someone came to stay at our house and, uh, and they were having, they were wrestling with forgiveness issues. And uh, I was partnering with a younger guy in this conversation, but I was kind of dominating it. And it's like, oh, bitterness is the thing. Bitterness is the thing we need to deal with in this guy's heart. And so I said to this younger guy, who's a pretty awesome, fun person, who's really going for it. I said, hey, you got anything to add here? He's like, yeah, it just so happens, just so happens, that of 66 books of, you know, 1,300 pages of double-column small print, I just happen to be memorizing Matthew 18. And Jesus... Most important teaching in the entire Bible on the importance of forgiveness and not growing bitter. So it's right on the front of my mind, and actually I could just recite it and I can go over it with you. And I was like, really? I just happened to be in this situation where we just happened to invite this kid to stay at our house, and you just happened to be sitting here, and I just happened to decide to let you in on the conversation. And you just happen to have that right at the tip of your brain and ready to go right at this moment where it's going to work like a surgical tool on this guy's heart. So anyway, it's the spirit that does that kind of stuff. So he does everything. And he's the power of God. Jesus said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So do you know the spirit? Do you love the Spirit? Do you know how to cooperate with the Spirit? Or do you just blow by that line in the creed? Like, well, there's some really important stuff at the front, and, you know, they just kind of trickle out the, some of the little deets. It's like a fine print at the bottom of a contract. You're the church and the Holy Spirit, whatever. Let's just get this thing done with. 